Is your work attire causing a style fever? The cure is clear, my friend. The Pinktastic Scrubs and Accessories from Biscare. Their collaboration with the National Breast Cancer Foundation isn't just a fashion statement, my friend. It's a prescription for change. A portion of each sale supports the National Breast Cancer Foundation. BizCare is thrilled to announce that they're sponsoring this episode of the High Performance Nursing Podcast. Visit liamcaswell.com forward slash bizcare to find your nearest stockist. Remember, the best things in life are worth talking about. Talk to your friends, family, patients and colleagues about breast cancer prevention today. People often said, particularly when it came to the postgraduate level of study, oh, but you trained in the private system, you're not a real ED nurse, like you wouldn't survive in the public system. Well, Mm -hmm. skills are transferable and if you're passionate and you work hard, you can take those skills anywhere. You've just got to be brave enough to do it, I reckon. I love Step out of your comfort zone and, you know, I've picked it up quite easily, but I've always worked hard and tried my best to be the best that I can. So you get out what you put in. Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. I'm so excited that you are all here today. Today we are having a, I'm going to call it a career chat. We're diving into an amazing clinician's career and exploring where they started and where they are now and what amazing tips, wisdom, experiences that they have to share with us today. So today we have the amazing Kate Hoskin. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I cannot wait to dive in. Everybody that's listening, you're going to want to stick around for this episode because there's going to be so much goodness in here. I'm going to kick off with just letting you know a little bit about Kate, who she is, what she's been up to, and then we're going to dive into our career stories. So Kate is an experienced emergency nurse and patient advocate with a passion for helping patients navigate the healthcare system. With over 15 years experience in both public and private acute care settings, she has developed a keen awareness and understanding of how our health system operates and how to help patients find their way on their healthcare journey. She empowers patients to recognize inferior care and ask for better, as well as helping people understand where bias and other agendas might be impacting the advice they receive from healthcare providers, and hopefully inspire other healthcare professionals to return their focus to patient-centered care. I just got chills. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that whole, like, recognize inferior care and ask for better. Oh my God, boom, that hit me right there. We're going to dive into all of that, but I want to kickstart this conversation with you telling us a little bit more about where you started your career and kind of tell us a synopsis of your career up until this point. So basically, I've been spent most of my career in the private system in Melbourne. I had fell in love with the hospital that I did my graduate year at and found the leadership there to be very supportive and I finished up my graduate year in the ED and that's where I stayed. I love it. I found my place. 
And so I was very fortunate to have really supportive leaders throughout my career, both in my direct unit manager and the director of nursing and educators as well, really supportive of me. So every opportunity I could have wanted to professionally develop was handed to me on a silver platter. So I quickly progressed through postgraduate studies, the advanced practice program or the transition to specialty, depending on what your organisation calls it, and became a clinical nurse specialist. And then after that, just had a keen interest in education. So I did the certificate for training and assessment so that I could start playing in that field and started taking on education in services and supporting my educator wherever I can in the CNS role to sort of, you know, get that experience under my belt. I worked for five minutes after my postgraduate in educating at TAFE, teaching diploma of nursing and doing some clinical placements, some tutorials, all that sort of stuff. So I started to grow that experience as an educator, which was really enjoyable and really beneficial. And then after that, I got a secondment in my hospital to a clinical nurse educator role um, on the wards, which was a really great opportunity. Again, where my director of nursing really believed in me and gave me an opportunity. So that was my first taste of the clinical educator role which was so eye-opening for me, like it really blew my (laughs) mind. Up until then, like throughout your career, just, you know, you focused on yourself, you're doing your own thing, you're just the nurse and everybody in leadership is your enemy kind of thing, like you're fighting against them, just, you know. But that really opened my eyes to behind the doors and how hospitals run and leadership and all that sort of stuff. So that was brilliant. And after that finished, I stepped into an A-num role and I did that for a few years around becoming a mother. So I came back and forth to that role and had two babies in a couple of years. And then when I came back to work after my experiences in childbirth, I stepped into my old clinical educator's role. She finally moved on and that was perfect timing for me to step up into her role. So yeah, I jumped in probably a little bit before I was ready to because I was right off the back of maternity leave. I'd had 12 months off and all that sort of stuff and I didn't quite feel ready. But again, my people higher up than me believed in me and took a chance and supported me to step into that role. And yeah, again, I think I was a little bit naive stepping into that role as well. Um but I'd had a lot of learnt experience as a patient in my journey in motherhood to come back to work with. And then, yeah, I don't know why I'd never seen it before, but for some reason when I sat in that office and sort of contemplated what this role of the clinical nurse educator was and the environment that I was doing it in, I was just like all of a sudden had this huge awareness of how major this job was and that the organisation I was working in had no governance. Mm -hmm. There was no protocols. There was no policies. There was no how to manage DKA. There was no how to recognise and manage sepsis because it was private and all the consultants were just doing what they did because that's how they knew to do it and no one was telling them to do it differently. And because I'd been raised in this organisation, so to speak, I didn't know any better. I was just happy to do what my doctors had always told me to do. And I guess my experience in childbirth and maternal obstetric healthcare, which I was completely ignorant and naive about as well, really opened my eyes to that your doctors don't always have your best interests in mind. There are agendas outside of your experience and outcomes at play. And I kind of was like... I've got so much work to do. (laughs) 
And right. in that moment, I sort of just determined that I was going to set about to change the system. No, no <laughs> <was>, small feet. <laughs> I sort of was like, wow, I don't know. This is huge. Like I've got so many policies to write, so many guidelines to teach because it was my role to teach the baby nurses what best practice standards were, but how do I do that without anything to reference? Mm. So I just, you know, for the next few years, said about writing policies and teaching them and thought this would be fine I'll just write the guidelines I'll teach them and everybody will pick up and we'll make things better and patient experiences will be better and it will be more smooth for the nurses to all be doing the same thing rather than doing it how that doctor wanted it and different for that doctor and that kind of mm-hmm. thing and that I guess is where I ran into trouble because doctors and systems don't like to change <laughs> <laughs> and that for me was really really challenging like I just couldn't understand. Here's a best practice guideline. It's evidence-based. It's what all the other hospitals are doing in the public system. Why don't you follow it? And they just didn't. Like I really could not understand why that was happening. And I guess over time and with perseverance and trying to implement change and meeting a lot of resistance and a lot of challenge in that, I sort of realised that I can't change the system like it was breaking me and ended up having some really terrible experiences which required, you know, disciplinary meetings and all this sort of stuff Mm. and it became really, really challenging work environment because I was so passionate about making them do better and the resistance that was met with just really shattered me and I was becoming a miserable person Mm. I was bringing it home with me and it got to the point where my whole life was falling down around me Mm. and so I had to take some time off so I by this time I'd accrued my long service leave so I just took four months off and again I had a very supportive director of nursing who could see where I was going and she was like yep just take the time do what you need we'll be here when you're ready to come back sort of thing And then it was in that time off where I had time to decompress and reflect and what I wanted to do and recognising that I couldn't achieve it in the role that I was in, that I came up with the idea of patient advocacy plus. I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, I did that. What do people come to me for? What am I good at? And I had so many friends and family who'd be like, my kid's sick, what do I do? Where do I go? Or that kind of thing. I'm like, oh. I could do this, like I could oh. make a business out of this. And so the idea was born and stayed in the idea stage for a solid 12 months. Enough. <laughs> I just, you know, can I do this? How do I do this? I don't know if I could do this. And then, of course, the long service ran out and I went to resign, but my education manager convinced me to stay. And after that time off and sort of settling and regrounding and redirecting, I only lasted, I think, maybe three months back mm-hmm. in that role before I was just, no, I just can't. I just can't be here. I can't do it. I physically felt like I was being squished into a box, like of performance and behaviour management and towing the line and, you know, not challenging the status quo. And I'm like, this just isn't me. I just can't bide anymore. And so I resigned from the role that I'd worked my whole career towards. Oh, Letting go of that, mate. Oh, my God. <laughs> that took a lot. That took, it was a huge, and this is like what you talk about too, mm-hmm. where I let what I do become who I was. 
And so that felt like a real letting go of a part of me. So Mm -hmm. that was really, really hard. Of course, that was in the beginning of COVID. So I think I was still in the educator role for the first few months of COVID and doing all the policy and retraining and all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, I just was like, no, I can't, just can't. And say, yeah, took a step back, a massive step back and joined a different organisation in the public system and just went back to being an emergency nurse. And on the side, putting energy into my business and patient advocacy and figuring out how I could change the system from the outside rather than killing myself trying to change it from the inside. So, yeah, my business was born and here I am floating along. It's been probably two and a half years now of patient advocacy plus and figuring out as I go what I want to do and how I can make a difference and change the system by empowering patients. And that's my absolute passion now. It just lights me up. So, yeah, I love that. Oh my goodness, there is so much to unpack. So much. I just love your career story. You know, I think what I love about doing this podcast and talking to other people, selfishly, one, (laughs) I hear other people go through the same thing that I went through and it reminds my brain like, oh yes, you're not alone and lots of people go through this process. And two, for other people to hear how the ebbs and flows, the highs and lows of our career really do shape who we become. And it's when we really step into and listen to that intuitive part of ourselves, whether that's your brain, your gut, like whatever that is for you, and you really question, you go, hold on a minute, this used to light me up. It no longer does. What's going on? Let me create some space. I'm hearing that that space was the gift that you needed to give yourself. Yeah. And go, hold on. I've got a couple of paths here. You gathered all the facts and you went, okay, my heart wants me to stay, but my mind is telling me something different. Like, this is not good for you. And I yeah. think that you, like, you know, obviously you've made the shift, but like, I'm proud of you and I hope you're proud of you. This <laughs> yeah. is a huge shift. And like you say, it's hard. It's very, yeah. very hard. Yeah. Um, I talk to people every day that want to make a similar shift and they do not give themselves permission. And really, that's what it comes down to, right? If you remove the heart and the 10 years of working there and the connection and the collaboration and the people, it comes down to making a decision and liking your reason why you made that decision. And I'm sensing, based on the smile on your face and like the way (laughs) you were talking about patient advocacy, you like your reason for doing that. Yeah, I really do. And it's so interesting because, like I said, the smile on my face, it's not only just my career that I feel more content with like I've lost that desire or that compulsion to continue to progress because I feel like that's a real culture in healthcare is there's a lot of pressure for young nurses to progress 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 achieve climb higher do more and I've let go of that and I'm just so content being at the bedside with my patients doing a good job bringing my 15 years of experience to the bedside and I leave work smiling rather than stressing I don't bring it home and then I've got energy for my husband for my kids for my friends like you know I'm drinking less wine <laughs> all that kind of stuff but <laughs> yeah it just makes such a big difference to I don't know if you can step out of that, I don't want to call it a cage, that the health Mm. system brought you in and go, okay, okay, why am I doing this? What do I love about it? And, you know, I don't have to define myself by my role. Like I don't have to 
have a job title or an employer or something to be able to bring my skills to the world to help people. So Totally. And I think that what you touched on there is what most people and we both have gone through is this idea of like, you almost grieve the loss of a part of you. You yeah. grieve the history of your life, the past, but you also grieve the future, like yeah. what could have been. Yeah. And your brain takes you to both ends of the spectrum. And I think yeah. that that's probably leaving the job is easy because we just have to resign, right? Like you look through yeah. the email <laughs> and you say, hey, I'm done. But what yeah. is hard is navigating the thoughts and the feelings that come up when you hit that send button or in the lead up to it and the perception of what people are going to think. How did you manage all of that? Because I'm sure there'd be people like you're doing what? You're going from educator back to bedside, set up an yeah. advocacy business. Like, what are you thinking, Kate? I know. <laughs> I think the advocacy part of it has always been a part of who I am, but it's a part of me that had been squashed through childhood and all those messages that you get growing up and, you know, coming into healthcare and that good girl kind of mindset had really subdued that part of me. So I think that part of it's always been there and stepping out of it has given me permission to reclaim that and I've mm-hmm. reclaimed that more and more the more of this work I do. But I think, yeah, the letting go of who I was and what I would have been, gosh, that just took time and I just gave myself space to grieve it, like mm-hmm. allowed myself a minute to adjust and through, like yourself, I've done a lot of personal development work And that has really helped me to not get attached to outcomes and try and just go with the flow and allowed myself to be content with who I am, not who I should be kind of thing. But yeah, it was really hard. And I knew I did go back to a clinical educator role. It's probably close to two years now. The opportunity came up in the public system and I was like, okay, I'll try it there. And it was too easy to get that job, like an organisation that usually only hires from within and I didn't have the qualifications that all the other applicants had. I'd been out of the game for over 12 months, but I got this job so easily and it was strange to me. But then again, I was lucky if I lasted three months back in that office before the wheels of life started to fall off again. And so I was like, no, this isn't where I'm meant to be. It was just that little affirmation that I needed to be like, okay, you're on the right path. You don't have to keep reminding yourself that you're supposed to be here. And that really helped me to be solid in where I'm going, not where I was sort of thing. Yeah, no, totally. I love that. And I think that there is something in this when you unsee yourself in a role that you, Mm. like if you keep trying to go back to that role, I did this as well. Life is going to just keep teaching you the same lesson. And that's why I'm a big believer in that when we change our circumstances, and we change the job, that unless we really look internally and do the thought work and the feeling work, we're just changing the external world. We're taking the new job, but we're taking the same brain, (laughs) right? With the same thoughts and the same programming and the same conditioned beliefs. And whilst I think some environments definitely leave them, you know, if, if they're not serving you, that if we just look at it and think, when I change the circumstance, it's gonna make it better. I think that mm. that's where we're a little, like I was delusional for 12 years thinking yeah. each job yeah. will be different and better. And I love that that's been your experience as well. I do believe that when we've been in something and we leave it or we apply for something and we don't get it and somebody else does, we can't unsee part of ourselves in that role or yeah. unsee the fact that we've outgrown it. 
as well yeah you know it's like if you visit yes. your family and you're like you're looking around and you're like what's happened here no one's changed yeah. everything's the same yes. <laughs> and you're thrown and you're like yeah. do I belong here what's happening yeah I really struggled I'm at towing the line and delivering an agenda you know for the good of the hospital rather than for the good of the people I was supposed to be teaching and mentoring mm-hmm. I was like, oh. Yeah, I love that. I think everybody listening to take away from that there, what Kate was saying, like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes. Like that line. Like, I can do this job. Am I doing it because I can or because I really want to be here? And, yeah, that was a huge deciding factor for me. Yeah. Yeah. And remember that everybody probably told Kate, Kate, by the way, you're amazing at this. You can do this. You should stay. You've got a great career ahead of you. And Kate was like, no. I know me and I know what I want. And you still had all the drama, right? You still had all of those thoughts and you still had the confusion, but you just bet on yourself. And I think that's what's beautiful about your story. I love that so much. There's so many things I want to ask, but I want to spend a lot of time on patient advocacy because I know it's so important. I want to ask based on, we've got a lot of grads that listen, a lot of nurses that want to get into ED nursing. Number one, I want to ask, what was it like starting in a private graduate program as a grad, because there's a lot of public versus private and people say, oh, you know, you can't do the private. So what would be your one line on that? My advice, and I've given it to graduate and postgraduate students before, is that you get out what you put in. Oh, you-, <laughs> <laughs> you can, because in education support is inferior across healthcare, regardless of whether you're public or private, right? So you have to make the most of your opportunities. And if you've got one organisation offering you your dreams, your opportunities, your goals on a silver planner, but it's private and you're returning it down for that, then I don't know, I feel like that's a wasted opportunity. And in the private system, my experience was that it wasn't as competitive. They weren't the dozens and dozens of mm. people applying for the same programs. And so you had a better opportunity of progressing more rapidly, which for me, like I went from graduate nurse to clinical nurse educator within 10 years. Like oh, wow. that's, yeah. you know, and I had two babies in that time. Right. So yeah. I think, yeah, and people often said, particularly when it came to the postgraduate level of study, oh, but you trained in the private system you're not a real ED nurse, like you wouldn't survive in the public system. Well, mm-hmm. you know, skills are transferable. And if you're passionate and you work hard, you can take those skills anywhere. You've just got to be brave enough to do it, I reckon. I love Step that. out of your comfort zone and, you know, I've picked it up quite easily, but I've always worked hard and tried my best to be the best that I can. So you That's- get out what you put in. Oh, I love that so much. That's such a good piece of advice. And I also just need to acknowledge your use of the word inferior. I love that because I always talk about lack a lot. It's just a beautiful word. <laughs> I'm just, but the fact that like, it's true, there is inferior education. There is inferior yeah. leadership. So then what yeah. do we want to do about it? Right. What can we do about it? That's within our power. I love yeah. that so much. I wanted to ask you based on your over a decade of experience in ED, what is the secret to sustaining and building a career in ED? Because it's it's hard in ED, right, to stay there long term. There's a lot of things happening and there's a lot of highs and lows. I mean, there is everywhere, but ED in particular, ICU critical care. What do you think the secret to success is if you were to give somebody a little bit of information and insight? Oh, 
You know, they used to teach you at nursing school, I'll never forget, like philosophy of nursing, my first day of uni, to leave yourself at the door, mm. detach, don't feel, don't connect, your patients need you to be professional and that kind of thing. And that's how I worked for a number of years until I became a mother and I was no longer capable <laughs> of that approach. But I really found like just be human, like, you know, you need to feel your patient's experiences, feel it because that's better than suppressing it and going home and drinking, you know, or that's better than becoming resentful of the patients that you're here to care for. Remember why you became a nurse. Like I became a nurse to help people like most people. I loved the science of it. I loved understanding how we could figure out what was wrong with people and how to put them back together. And for mm. me, that has always been a privilege. So just reminding myself constantly of that and that every patient who comes to the ED is very easy to become jaded because you see people in such horrible situations every day that a sore toe does really grind your gears. But <laughs> just remind yourself that... Nobody comes to an emergency because they don't think they need to be there. Like they come because they feel like they have an emergency and it's our job to take care of them. So I don't know. I find I just, because of course I have my moments where I've reached mm-hmm. my limits, I take a day off. But so I think, yeah, that balance of humility and remembering that people are people and it's your job mm-hmm. to help them as well as recognising when you've lost the capacity to view people and treat people as people and taking a minute off. Yeah. I think that's something that we really don't value in healthcare, particularly at the moment. Over time, extra shifts, show up, support your team. And I'm like, no, no, support yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're you know, taking care of yourself, you can take on anything. So, yeah, yeah I think it's just that balance, really. Yeah, I love that. I love reminding people, like, there's no healthcare without self-care. Right. Like yes. it's a good little slogan. It's a bit cheesy. Sorry, everybody. But <laughs> it just reminds me that like you've got to put yourself first, right? You've got to fill yeah. that cup up first. And I just love that you mentioned like the humanizing the role and the job mm-hmm. because you're right. And I remember being taught that as well. I remember put on the facade mm-hmm. and show up. Yeah. And like I think that that's probably what's compounded our burnout, right? Yes. It's like we have literally been taught to not get in touch with our emotions to yeah. not cry when the family are crying because somebody just passed away. We're negating the human experience. And I think yeah. that is just like, as a patient advocate, I'm sure you have a, a lot to say about that because yeah. then as a patient, how do they receive that information? Yeah. How do they, what it. are they thinking when we're yeah. so cold and stern and we're like, well, it is what it is, you know, get exercising yeah. and move on. Yeah, I'm oh, my coffee break. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah. we're so short-staffed today. Like, our patients don't need to hear all of that, right? We can express yeah. it and be human and have a bit of fun with it. But I think that's such an important thing. I keep thinking I need to rename the podcast. I'm not mm. going to put it out there, but I keep coming back to because every person I talk to talks about the importance of being human, the importance yeah. of being human and seeing the human behind the nurse you know so I think that watch this space (laughs) yeah I just think too like most of the clients who I've engaged with who have had positive experiences it is from the nurses who did cry with them when their baby was born or who did hold their hand or you know one of the most affirming moments I had for me that I was on the right path was the five minutes I went back to clinical education and I had a very sick man all the machines and all the people and all the chaos and I just 
held his hand and he was like, just don't let go. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I really like of all the things that we were doing for him, what he focused on was me holding his hand. And so that's where I stayed. And I feel like that was more beneficial for him than all the drugs, all the devices, all the everything that someone was there with him. So, and particularly with the C word life, it's mm. so hard for patients to have support of their own at the moment and still like, so that's our job. Yeah. I think that the message there is like what I love talking about, which is being basic makes you advanced. Like doing the basics makes you super advanced because there are not many people actually commit to doing the basics well, you know, and we kind of like have created this culture in the industry where the more you get, the better, more advanced you become. And we seem to forget that our first job is to deliver basic nursing care and I know it's like yawn Liam you know and I used to think that working on the floor because the dons the educators the nums they'd be like we're gonna do an education today on you know getting back to the basics and we don't roll our eyes are you for real I've been a nurse I'm above basic (laughs) I'm so much better than basic but the reality was you look at the risk man data the incident reporting the quality and safety data the patient advocacy work that you're doing and I'd be curious to know is a lot of it complex things that you're helping people with or is it like real fundamental basics? What does that look like? A lot of it is just being seen and heard and not being dismissed. And, yeah, a lot of it is that inferior care, like, you know, not communication is a huge one. I don't know what's going on with my husband, my mum. I don't, nobody's telling me anything and, you know, they don't know to ask certain things. So mm. a lot of it's communication and then, yeah, just being treated like a person and that's something I've really learnt through the work that I've done is it's not the things that were or were not done, it's the way people were treated that is harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us more about that. Do you mean like in sense that so that their experience, their lived experience in their bodies yeah. is what's creating like trauma for them in that experience? Yeah. So I've done a fair bit of work with postpartum mothers. So in birth trauma and wanting answers about why the birth played out the way it did. And a lot of the sentiment is no one listened to me. I was dismissed. I was treated like I didn't have a voice. And, you know, when patients step into the hospital and I've experienced this myself, we were so vulnerable, mm. even with medical training and a bit of know-how, like you just, the second you become a patient, you are so vulnerable and it's really hard to advocate for yourself. And we have this real belief that our doctor is right. We must do what the doctor says, our nurses as well. But no one ever taught the doctors to ask the patients what they want. Mm. And particularly in the system where it's so policy and protocol driven and so risk averse and avoid litigation, tick your boxes, we're forgetting that that's a human in the bed and that they might have ideas that are different to ours and they're different to what our policy and safety protocols suggest are the best thing Mm. for people to experience. But at the end of the day, it's when no one listened to me, I wasn't allowed to do what I wanted to do and they did this anyway, is what hurts people. It's what they can't sleep at night over. It's what the complaint letters are about was that no one listened to me and I had, yeah. didn't have a say. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I can't talk too much on this at the moment, but I'm reading a book. It's called The Body Keeps a Score and it's about... Love. 
Oh, it's like, yeah, my mind is being blown by this every page that I read. And for those listening, it's worth reading as a clinician, an amazing book, right? And it's all about trauma and how our body tells the story of the traumas that we've experienced. Sounds a bit sad, but it's very insightful, very evidence-based. And, you know, he's done a lot of incredible work, the, the author. And that's what comes up there. I know anytime I've been in the hospital, I've been in a few times for like minor operations. You're right. As soon as you walk through that door, you are like stripped. It's almost like you get cleansed of everything. And it doesn't Uh matter. And you're even like edging your way in. And we do this weird thing where we're like, do I tell them a nurse? Do I not tell them I'm a nurse? And you're like, you know, and then you see somebody not washing their hands and you're like, so (laughs) I'm a nurse. Would you mind just washing your hands? And it becomes awkward, right? There's so many things that go on for us as patients when we go into the system that can really impact our outcomes, right? And I think that Nine times out of 10, as an educator, as a nun, the problems that came through my door were issues that are based around the things that you would help people with. Yeah. That asking for better care. Why was my mum's teeth not cleaned for the last yeah. three days? Like, or no one's told us what's yeah. happening. Or every yeah. MDT person that comes in tells us a different story. And a lot of people with this, particularly with the mothers that I've worked with, is having to retell their story to each new shift that comes on. I know me personally, that was brutalizing because it was reliving trauma every eight hours, you know, because they mm-hmm. gave it just a brief handover and you'd say, okay, it's time to breastfeed. And it's like, well, actually, I'm really struggling with that. And so that was hard to have to retell every eight hours. And it's like, are you even listening to me? Do you even know me at all? Like, yeah. and having to just, yeah, go through it over and over again, every change of shift. It's really defeating. You just feel like, you know, what's the point of being here? No one's listening to me. Mm. No one cares. And do you find that people that also loses a lot of trust in the patients with their providers? Because I know for me, when I'm in there, I'm like, hell to the no. <laughs> if you've already, yeah. within seconds of meeting me, you've like yeah. stuffed up my name and like human things, yeah. like we're humans. But, you know, if that continues to happen through the day and I get asked the same question 50 times, my trust factor is like dropping significantly and I think that we forget to marry the two together and we're like we deserve to be treated better and I agree we do but when we're chipping away at the trust yeah we're literally asking for it (laughs) I think what's your take on that yeah no we are and I used to teach students to go and learn one thing about your patient and not what their blood test results are not who their doctor is but what's their cat's name, you know, Mm -hmm. how many grandkids do they have? Go and tell me one thing about your patient that's not to do with the reason they're in hospital. And then you can see that patient as a person and remember their name, for God's sake, like not just bed 23 or, Mm. you know. Your appendicitis. Yes, and I know we're so guilty of that in emergency because we do have such a high turnover Mm. and you're lucky if you've got your patients for four hours. But, you know, it doesn't take much to have a quick chat with a person to get to know them even a little bit and that I don't know for me that makes that person a person in my head and I can remember better their clinical story as well as when I'm attaching it to the person Mm. who's in the bed in front of me so yeah I like Mm. thinking of patient care like the quicker that you can deliver a quick win to a patient and really connect with them the easier yeah. days can it be nine times out of ten of course there are humans that are just going to make your life hell. they exist but you know they're far and few between 
But the, I, I believe that the quicker that you deliver something or even just connect the simplest of things, clean their glasses, like tidy their table, you know, like yeah. make sure the room's presentable, make sure their hair's combed whilst the, the cleaner's coming in to do their breakfast, like the floor, not their, their breakfast. Those little things really can, right? So what would be, from your patient advocacy perspective, what would be a couple of things that nurses could do today, tomorrow, in their clinical care to really improve the patient experience? I think something that every nurse could easily do on a daily basis is communicate with family. Mm. We've got this real negative approach to the family, the visitors, and so many people were like, yes, no visitors in COVID. How much easier is life without visitors and the nagging and the questions and the demanding and stuff? But like you said, it's so easy to deliver just a quick, how's it going? I'm the nurse today. Do you have any questions? What are your concerns? Is there anything you need me to help you with or achieve for you? That's it. Like you said, your day is easy from there because, number one, they trust you. They believe that you care. And if you can deliver an answer for them, well, hey, it's amazing. They feel connected. They know what's going on and they feel mm. like that person is in good hands. So just embrace the visitor embrace the loved one and because I know when I was taught particularly triage you know you want to hear the story from the horse's mouth don't let the wife speak for the husband don't let the mother speak for the child you need the story from the patient and I've always just been like why Mm. (laughs) your patient's in crisis your patient's sick they can't you know and quite often people do get nervous and can't think what is necessary or important to say where their mother might or their wife might or something like that. So, you know, they've brought their person with them, allow mm. that person to be part of their experience. Because yeah. It's so important, right? Yeah, I love that. I think that what's coming to mind is like it's preventative de-escalation. That's yeah. what it is. Like you're just preventing any form of escalation happening. And, you know, maybe once that will actually happen. But if you just, mm-hmm. like you said, deliver a quick win, they're stable, doctor's been round, like it takes 30 seconds. It, there's no reason why we can't. So yeah, I love that so much. I wanted to dive in and explore as we kind of wrap up the amazing interview. Like there's so much I could ask you, but I value your time. You mentioned earlier that you created space. You let this idea percolate. You had 12 months of like, you know, just letting your creative juices flow. And then your brain is like offering you all these questions about like, how do I do it? Like, what does it look like? All of these things. Talk to us about like bringing the business to life. So I know there's a lot of people that listen that are in a similar place, right? And I think a lot of us think that we need to know the how before we do. So I'm curious what your experience was. The best life lesson I ever learned was leap before you know where you're going to land. And I had deliberately surrounded myself with women who were doing different things in their own field, in their own niche and being entrepreneurial and so people I want to be when I grow up kind of thing. So I had them in my awareness that I could idolise and go, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And it just Mm. took that, you know, why can't I do it if they can do it? They're no different to me. And I knew that I had these people's support regardless of what I chose to do. So, yeah, I had a mentor who I actually signed up to a network marketing business mm-hmm. and me educate a clinical brain. I was like, I'll learn all the products and then I will. And she was like, no, no, just do it. You just do it. 
And I'm like, what do you mean you just do it? It's like you just put your face on camera and you just do it and you figure it out as you go. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like I can't do that. And but she didn't give me a choice. It's like, yep, here's a meeting. We'll set it up. We'll invite the people and we're going live in two hours kind of thing. And so I did it and it was okay. Yeah. And so it's just that, I guess, letting yourself know that it will be okay and mm-hmm. getting comfortable with that and that nervous system regulation. Just take a little bite mm-hmm. and hold your breath, but it's okay. Okay, I can take the next bite. And then so, yeah, I decided to invest in myself and I paid for a business coach. It was like a six-week mums in business course mm-hmm. online and that teacher taught me basics like how to do a PayPal account or how to here is someone who you can pay to build a website for you or here is basic accounting or which mm. I still suck at <laughs> you know just the fundamentals because I've got no clue about business so I invested in myself and my dream and got someone to teach me how to do those things and then it was just about courage and having because you know speaking out technically against healthcare system and sharing insider secrets and teaching people that the healthcare system is not all it's cracked up to be. Right. It's a very taboo subject and it's very scary and I was very worried about the recourse from that. But over time with the exposure and no one's come breathing down my neck so far, <laughs> I've learned that it's okay <laughs> to say what I have to say and that that if that helps someone along the way. So I don't know, I think it was just an easing in and trusting the journey and following it wherever it took me rather than where I took it kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. I think that entrepreneurship is just like a whole different world, right? You have to be willing to do all of the things, not know the outcome. You have to be willing to fail and put yourself out there. You have to be willing to go back on yourself and also have your own back and to potentially create things that don't exist, right? Yes. Like, I think that's what's so exciting about it, right? Like, your potential is uncapped. And I think that through that journey, I've learned that Liam, two years ago, two and a half years ago, when I started this business, was, like, so worried about what everybody would think. And now, yes. like, yourself, now I'm just like, you know what? Like, I actively tell people to unfollow me. I'm like, if you don't like what I have to say, just leave. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah. Because I, know, I know that there are people that need that, right? And your patients yeah. obviously need that too. And I, I love that growth journey. Sorry, I interjected. What, what were you going to yeah, say? I have a, a beautiful mentor who says that you will have in life equal parts support and challenge. So mm. choose to focus on the support because they are balanced always. And if you have challenge, that's where you know you've made it. If there are people out there going, you're wrong, you can't say this, you're whatever, and then you're like, that's a win because yeah. if someone's got an opinion against what I'm doing, then I'm getting attention and, yeah. you know, taken as a positive. So that's really helped with me and my outspokenness mm. to know that, you know, I'm not actively out there trying to offend people. I am very conscious of the words I use and the way I use them. But if I get a little bit of heckling, I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, a feather yeah. in my cap because that means I'm getting a greater reach and I am challenging people's beliefs and perspectives, which is what I want to do. So yeah. I think it's so important. I'm thinking about adding professional button pusher to my resume. Some yes. people- <laughs> I think that's what we do. But even yeah. like at an educator level, if you're an educator, you're a CNS, you're a numb, 
you're a professional button pusher. We resist the resistance, but we have to let it in. We have to experience it. I used to think it shouldn't be like this. And I was arguing with reality instead of just being like, hey, no, like it's great that the team are rebelling <laughs> because it yes. means that we've triggered something. Let's explore this. Now we've opened it up and we've triggered that little point. Let's try and make this work. So I think that's so, so important. Incredible that you're doing that. And I love what you said. I can do it. And if there's, I like telling people that if there's evidence in the world of it, it means that you can do it too. I I think that's a beautiful sentiment. So if you were to give your past version of you any advice, like, you know, Kate, that was like leaving the public sector, CNE role, and you're moving back to working at the bedside and you're starting your business. If you could give them one piece of advice, what would you tell that version of you? you know now Um, give yourself a minute to adjust because change is change you can't avoid Mm -hmm. it and it is uncomfortable so just breathe into it and give yourself a minute and trust the process don't be afraid to take the next step because you know whatever you can imagine as your next step being you're capable of taking it you can't imagine it if you can't do it kind of thing so yeah I love yeah so good so good so tell us more about patient advocacy plus how people can get in touch with you what services you provide take the next couple of minutes tell us all the things because there are going to be people that are going to want to use this and i want you (laughs) everybody listening to tell people about it and share it tell us how people can work with you thank you so people typically contact me through my social media accounts i'm at patient advocacy plus on facebook and instagram you can also search me up on my website, which is patientadvocacyplus.com.au. And the services mostly I provide health system navigation advice is my bread and butter. So when people are in crisis or anticipating an engagement with the healthcare system, they don't know what to do, they don't know who to trust or where to take the next steps. That's when people call me and say, you know, I'm planning a pregnancy, what's the best way of going about achieving this goal? Or my doctor's telling me this, I feel uncomfortable with that advice, what are my alternative options? Or, you know, my my dad's sick in hospital and he's receiving inferior care, how do I ask for better, that kind of thing. So then Mm -hmm. I'll give people a plan of next steps to take, alternative pathways that their provider may not have offered them. And language to use in communicating with their bedside providers so that they get heard and using language that the healthcare provider can understand and take seriously rather than, I'm really worried about dad, I don't know why, but then I can say, you know, use this language, say these words and you will get a response kind of thing. So the other service I do is an appointment buddy, which I love. I feel like that's where I really shine is I come along to patients' appointments with them um, so that I can communicate for them, for patients who don't feel like they have the confidence or have medical trauma as a past experience from their past experiences. I can go in and sit beside them and do the speaking for them or just be you know, that solid energy beside them so that they can speak with confidence and know mm. they're supported and help translate the jargon. And, of course, as a professional, you would understand you get an appreciation for whether this is a good doctor or not and just taking that information or awareness to the appointments with my clients to say, okay, we don't really love this doctor, let's try a different one. Or that doctor was great, they were really empathetic, they were patient, they listened, you've got a good one here, you can trust them. So just 
to help people, number one, understand what their doctors are telling them and making sure that they're not being provided with biased information as well. Yeah. So that's, yeah, mostly that's my bread and butter. That's what I do. And then, you know, if people have a healthcare concern or they're not really sure what's going on or what they need, then just call me and we can have a chat and see what I could do to support you. So I'm flexible in what I offer. But mostly empowered communication, teaching you how to communicate, recognise bias and inferior care and ask for better. I love that all so much. What an inspiration. Seriously, I think that there's going to be so many people listening that are inspired by your journey. I know a lot of us don't like talking to each other like this, but I feel compelled to (laughs) say that I think the work that you do is so, so important. I think that the future will look very different for healthcare with people like yourself doing this work. And I think that that there will be a rising of patient advocates, you know, because like, to be honest, like I hadn't really heard of it, but now I've heard of it. I'm like, holy shit why do we not have these right so if you are somebody that's listening and you agree with myself and Kate and you're like curious about what it takes to become a patient advocate connect reach out I'm sure Kate would be willing to talk you through what that looks like because I think that this like coaching in healthcare is the future you know trauma coaching coaching mindset work for our patients and for our clinicians I think we're pushing those professional buttons. We're doing all the things. And thank you. Thank you so much for doing this incredible work. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. I'm sure this will not be the last time that we have you on the podcast. Everybody go and check out Kate's Instagram and all of the links that we've talked about today are in the show notes. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know if you're inspired to deliver better care. And I think that Kate needs to get some merchandise that says ask for better yes. <laughs> i feel like that is your slogan and I, I just absolutely love it i think that itself will transform patients perspective and experiences and the way that patients so. think about the care that we deliver so thank you so much until next time everybody stay safe stay forever curious and we'll be dropping another career chat next month we'll see you in the next episode thanks kate thank you Hey, thanks so much for listening. I'm so privileged that you spent your time with us here today. Hey, can I ask a favour? If you know someone that would benefit from this podcast episode, please share it with them. The more you share, the more we get in front of amazing nurses and we're able to help them see that nursing on their terms across their career is totally possible for them. So I'd love if you could do that. Now, I will see you in the next episode next week. Until then, let's make this year the year that you nurse on your terms. Are you ready? Let's do it.